Welcome back to another episode of Survivor Worldwide. We're here with our third exit interview for Survivor South Africa Immunity Island. And as you can see, it is reality TV villain 77, Mike Laws. <laughs> How are you, Mike? <laughs> hey, Chris. How's it going, man? Uh, it's, it's great talking to you. Um, quite, we had quite a nice chat even before hitting the record here. And um, you mentioned that you've made a pretty big life-changing move um, and you upped and went to Munich over in uh, Germany. Uh, did Survivor sort of play into that? Did it give you time to sit out there and think about what you want to do next in life? Uh, how did you make this this move? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing in that um, I I think, you know, COVID, you know, goddamn COVID, um, like mm. many, like many people kind of triggered a second quarter life crisis or an early onset midlife crisis. And um, I guess there was this moment where I was like, you know, I, I, I love law in, in many ways, um, but I, I would love to, I would also love to bring maybe in more of a creative component into my life and to my work. And so I'd, I'd actually taken a, a, a sabbatical even before I started playing Survivor, but I thought I'd just do it for a couple of months and then go back to law. I just needed like time to work my, work my life out. And then um, after Survivor, I was like, well, you know, let's keep the sabbatical going. I think I still need time to, to work out my life, uh, but still hadn't kind of thought I was going to end up back in law eventually. Um, and then one kind of conversation opened up through a friend of mine who's a scriptwriter, and that led to another and another. And now I've I started working at a at a film studio in in Germany in München. Um, nice. But it's all pretty fresh. It's 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 all pretty fresh. So uh, we'll have to see where it goes. It's exciting. So you you pretty much upped and left as soon as Survivor started showing in South Africa. Um, you know, and and I think it'll be quite interesting. So you you're probably going to escape a lot of the fan hysteria and people sort of knowing who you are when you're walking down the street and all those kind of things. Did that play sort of in your mind as well? You thought, oh, this might just be because you seem like quite a a private person. I, I remember when we when we um, did our cast assessment, myself and Riley, my co-host you were one of the people that we could find the least information on. And obviously being a lawyer, you, you try and be off the grid as much as you can, but <laughs> did all of this sort of play into your mindset and making the move as well? Well, I mean, to, to kind of speak to those two things, I mean, the first is that like, um, uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> we all are citizens of the internet, right? And the internet mm. is, is, is everywhere. And so like, I still am on the same Twitter and the same Instagram I was, you know, back home. So that certainly hasn't meaningfully changed um, at all. Um, uh, and, and especially after COVID, I mean, you know, so much of our lives, our social lives became these internet lives. So, you know, as much as I'm not missing, as much as I might be walk, missing walking down the street and bumping into someone who recognizes me, you know, especially South Africa's just got new regs. It's like I'd be walking down the street with a mask on anyway. So yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much it's changed that reality. Um, and then the second thing is, I mean, it's kind of a paradox being someone who enters a reality TV show and saying that, like, you kind of are a bit of a private person. But, um, yeah, you know, like, I, I, you know, before Survivor, I was one of those people that had a locked Instagram account. Like, I, I was pretty sure that I was going to keep my Instagram locked. And then I thought, look, you, you know, be, be mysterious, but not a hermit. So I, I, I unlocked yeah. my, my Instagram account and I, I, I kept my, my Twitter publicly facing, but I've just never been that active on social media. 
Um, I guess it's a weird mix of lawyer, you know, you're like, you're just running the risk assessment. You're just like, there's nothing yeah. but liability problems here. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, um, and Survivor actually, funny enough, is what really brought this home for me. I the internet, well, no, no, social media makes me mad anxious, man. Like maybe not mm. particular moments, but if I add it all up, it really adds to my, 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 my anxiety issues. And so it's kind of part of a self-care routine. I've been like trying to just dial down how much I exist in on, on Twitter and social media. And so, you know, when it came to Survivor, I know so many of my fellow casters have really leaped in and, and you know, been super active online. And I, I really yeah. love and respect that. And, and, but I guess, guess that was, that was never who I was. And I, it would have been kind of inauthentic for me. And I, I've tweeted a little, not even tweeted. I've liked one or two little things here and I've posted one or two cheeky things here, but I just had to do me. I had to be real, you know, with my internet usage and, and that's how it is. Yeah. And I mean, listen, that's one of the things I love about survivors that we get people that are different playing the game. You don't want 20 people that are exactly the same, all super, yeah. you know, social media active and out there. And I think that for, for us, it, it actually, it did, it did intrigue both myself and Riley, cause we didn't know what to expect of you coming into the game um, outside of the little bit of a video clip that we saw prior to you going into the season. And um, I guess the next question I wanted to ask you is cause we did see a little bit, obviously Shannon Gus and the guys from RAP have been doing this a lot longer than myself or anybody else. Um, they did a bit of an uh, preseason interviews with everybody um, that went on to the show. And through that, I learned that you actually were a bit of a, survivor fan prior to playing the game what sort of made you you know because at the moment i'm in that nice comfortable armchair position where i'm an armchair coach i could sit here and i can critique and, and it's easy for me because i've not played the game before what made you go from being an armchair critic to actually going out there and thinking to yourself especially since you're a private person you wanted to play the game and prove something uh, to yourself out there so i i mean it's funny because so chris i need to check something did you do a podcast in in the past with someone called um is it peridium or Perdium? um this like yeah peridium is yeah, one of is, is one yeah of he's he's case. he's worked with um the so we've got two sides of the reality pop tv crew we've got the u.s survivor coverage and the international survivor coverage so he's sat down with our u.s uh side of the yeah. of the podcast yes we're good friends so with Peridium. I, he's a good guy so i so i I don't know how, like the blessed YouTube algorithm started pushing me his content, like yeah. uh, back yeah. in 2018 or 2019, where he was doing these extremely in-depth, you know, strategic analyses of, of Survivor. And that shit hooked me more than the show itself, weirdly enough. Like, I mean, I yeah. love Survivor's yeah. show, but Pridium's like analysis of Survivor was so exciting to me. And it was, I was going through a time where, um, I, you know, I, I am a, I, I, in South Africa, I'm what, uh, well, I was what one would call an advocate or in the, Australia, the UK, Ireland, you'd call a barrister. So a lot of, just litigation is really what we do. Mm. And, you know, as a litigation lawyer, you, you, you end up thinking a lot about strategy, right? It's a very antagonistic, you know, every day is a battle kind of a, of a career. And yeah. Um, yeah. so I was reading The Art of War and like all these like white collar yuppie boardroom battle texts uh, by cringy. <laughs> And um, I, I just started watching his videos and I was like, damn, like, this is so fun. Like, this is the funnest shit. And um, I was just one, 
you know, one Sunday, I think I'd been playing Catan with some friends. And I was like, man, you know, this is cool, but you know what would be dope is like Survivor. Like Survivor is like the mother of all strategic games. And so um, I think I'd always seen Survivor as like this. Um, and it, okay, you know, this is, it's going to, it's becoming more and more of a rehearsed line because I've said it a couple of times in different places, but it, it's really true. It comes from the heart, which is like, you know, before I played the game, I thought Survivor was a very good game that humans had invented, you know? Mm. Uh, and I have this whole wanky theory about games, how they're not even unique to us. Even mammals play games and all this shit. Like, it's a very uh, mammalian thing. I thought Survivor was a very good game, you know, chess and Risk and Monopoly and Survivor. And I, having played Survivor, I'm utterly convinced it is the best game that humans have invented. Um, and I, I think going in, I was like, this is it. I'm going to have a chance to play this really once in a lifetime best strategic game ever constructed thing and um it delivered like and but because of that i i wanted to be as have as much fun playing it as a game i was like this is Catan. this is a game of risk like go and have a, a real jaw like go have a really good time and just be a strategic machiavellian bastardo uh be the disney villain you want to see in the world <laughs> yeah and um <laughs> You brought up quite a lot there. Uh, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask as well is, you know, having sort of seen the game and um, wanting to play it, and, and I kind of fell in love with the game from a very, like I, I started watching it from season one, seeing uh, a very corporate white collar person win it in season one, Richard Hatch. Um, and Iconic. Iconic. Yeah, from, from the merge, from the merge episode, that was my first episode I ever watched of Survivor, right through it. And I went back to watch the whole first season at a later stage, but I watched every single season since then. And I've loved the international versions as well. And I agree. It's, you know, you can put 20 people there every single time and you'll have a different outcome um, because, you know, it's different people will do different things in different situations. And that's what makes the game so good, the the core of the game. So I can geek out about that with you for a very long time. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, what was it like actually being out there? You did say the experience overall was really good. Was there anything about the game that was harder than what you thought it would be going into it? Oh, my God, man. The sleep deprivation. Oh, my God. That was so hard. Um so, I mean, again, you, I was like, I know I'm going to be hungry playing this game. So I'll fast, you know, like I, I listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast. I love fucking fasting. Like, let's get this fast going, Baba. Like, I'm ready to start getting ready to not eat. Um, so I fasted. I swung a kettlebell. I mean, Joe Rogan himself is about to descend from the heavens in approval of like the routine I was doing. Um, but what I did not anticipate was the depth of misery. Um, and you know what's funny is that, like, I think as a viewer, you know, we're, we're cynical to reality TV, right? You assume when the cameras mm. go off um, that it's, like, cute, you know, that, like, a little safety blanket comes out and it's easy. No, like, there's so much needless suffering there. The camera's not even close to you. You know, you, you're shivering for hours in the pitch dark. Do you know how miserable that is? Like, I remember one night it was – because we were we were all working it out and we're like it must be around midnight or 1 a.m in the morning and it was just raining and it was just raining and raining and raining and we were like oh my god we have to get through another know, five fucking hours of this like fuck like i am so cold i don't know how i this is intense and then the sun rises and then you need to start strategizing right it's like 5 a.m now let's plan a blind side and and i guess that's probably the the different the biggest disconnect between watching it on the couch and playing it is that 
the you know especially early survivor you know like the first season of survivor is pretty much like burning man on sea right it's like mm. surviving and it's ravey and it's like quite late 90s early 2000s cute like fun survivor aesthetics and the modern game is so focused on or the tv show is so focused on the strategy that you actually forget like how intense it is on the body and how much that affects mood emotion relationships building and those are obviously have downstream or upstream effect on strategy and so that was the biggest surprise to me was like how the physical survival aspects really mean something to the gameplay aspects and um but if anything it just increased my awe of it of the format like it just made me even more obsessed with it because i think it's the real deal no 100 percent. and um one of the questions i've got for you is obviously the in the early stages uh we don't see a lot of you in the first episode i think one of the the, the key scenes that we see there is you sort of calling chappies out for coming back from having gone to the fire yeah. challenge but you you're like i i'm a little bit suspicious here there's probably something else here that he's not telling us what was your early sort of observations of Chappies? Because obviously at the latter stages, you say when you leave, like, you know, he comes across as a golden retriever, but he's actually a wolf in sheep's clothing, which I love that line. Um, what was your sort of observations here of him? Did he come across as someone that was a bit of a gamer early on for you? Or did you really sleep on him until the point where, you know, he ultimately got the better of you? Not at all. I mean, let's, let's I mean, Straight up, athlete um, Chappies is an unbelievable athlete. Mm. He's extremely charming and um, smart as hell. And and I I felt pretty quickly that he was nobody's fool. That strategically he had a had a, has a lot of depth to him. And I I think because of that I I looked at Chappies and immediately was like oh my god this guy's got to go like if this guy makes the merge I'm fucked we're all fucked like this guy's is, is gonna and I think and I think in the second episode I say something about like we have to get oh the the third episode we have to get rid of Chappies because he's he'll be a very dangerous player if he gets momentum hmm. and you know Chappies and I are actually um, you know. I, you know, it, I used to say, at least from my side, and now having seen his, um, you know, when he when he voted me off, like his final words, I, I now, I like to think from his side as well. Chappies and I are like quite warm with each other. You know, like I like Chappies, like uh, I think he's a hoot, but I, I just saw him as like an absolute mega threat to my game and the game of people around me. And so I just thought it was a very obvious candidate to be voted out as soon as possible. And to the extent that other people weren't as quick to the take, I was like, and I, I, what the fuck is going on here? Why is no one else seeing Chappies for the enormous threat he is? Um, and I think in the third episode, um, in in me being voted out, like I think if there was any doubt about that, surely that should now people should be cured of that doubt. And that, I mean, I was I always knew that Chappie, and I mean this by the way as a compliment. I'm not being shady. Mm. I think. Uh, because I think that the Machiavellian villainous side of Survivor is the best side of Survivor. I think that's what makes it interesting. I always knew Chappies was the kind of guy that could shake your your hand, look you in the eye, and lie to you. And and now everyone knows that. Um, but it was like, oh, did, you know, why did I have to be the sacrificial lamb to prove that? But um, up until that point, I think some people, you know, thought that he was a bit of a golden boy, and um, I just didn't buy it. I think he's a an intense, amazing player. Um, and uh, I just wish that other people had seen the risk that I saw. 
Yeah, he's, he's been interesting yeah, he's, for me. Uh, we spoke about it on the recap for this episode, and we said, oh, basically, he comes across as this really jokey, jovial person, which I think is disarming to a lot of people because he's got this big personality and he's quite out there. Um, there's other characters, some of the best that have ever played the game that have been similar in that sense, like your Tony Vlachos and those guys who've been disarming because they've got this bigger-than-life yeah. personality, and people just think, oh, he's just the character, but then he's actually got some smarts to him as well. So really interesting to see how that's going to play going forward another question i had for you is in the early stages here we we sort of see that you form a very close bond with carla and with kiran but we don't see much of the conversations between yourself and kiran um sort of interested what made yourself and kiran sort of connect at an early stage we see kiran defend you um in a few scenes there when they're trying to come for you um when pinty ultimately gets voted out yeah it, it it was so interesting you know like me and me and carla um, you know, I've joked it was like platonic love at first sight. Um, and I ended up in this like <laughs> gay best friend showmance with her, which I have no regrets about. Um, and, you know, um, and, and Q and I were in a way similar in that we, we met each other and there were just was this immediate like bro homie energy, you know. Um, and, you know, with both Carla and Kieran, I think within minutes of meeting them, they um, an implicit understanding became an explicit understanding of like, hey, I want to play a, a super fun, snaky game. Like, I want to be a snake. Um, and Carla was like, yes, I want to be, like, have a super fun, play hard, Machiavellian, snaky game. And so did Kieran. And, and you know, I, I think this is also really important aspect and by the way this is a, a very high watermark and it's very difficult I, I don't think even i got close to it but i think for me the high watermark of, of the type of game i wanted to play in survivor is a game that was dishonest but kind because i think it's okay to be dishonest in survivor you know it's I, I use this boxing about metaphor i mean i use this metaphor about boxing you know like in boxing it's okay to really drib someone hard in the face if you do that in real life you're a monster it's you know like morality is contextual um but i i don't think that survivor gives you permission to be unkind like i think you should still strive to be kind with people and i recognize in both of them a a vibe of willing to be dishonest and and sneaky and machiavellian and play strategically hard but not be personal not be ugly not be mean not be um unkind um of course all of us, uh, you know, don't miss the mark. Um, I, I mean, all the regrets I have on Survivor are the regrets of me being short with people or ratty with people or unkind with people. Um, and, and just what I want to almost say to myself and to all viewers is like, you know how, like, playing Monopoly or, or Risk or Tarn with people for two or three hours will bring out the worst in them? Like, okay, now think about doing that for nine days with no food and no sleep, how the worst side of yourself will come out and, and judge people with that level of kind of understanding and compassion, you know, be slow to judge castaways because they really are running on fumes. Um, and yet, nevertheless, I think with Carla and Kieran, there's also just a sense of fun. We're going to blindside people. We're going to set up alliances. We're going to confuse shit. But it never felt mean. It never felt vindictive. And I love that about them. And they really wanted to play hard and, and keep the mood fun, you know, and that was cool to me. Now, now, one of the things that sort of, I guess, plays against your favor here is that you ultimately get 
swapped onto the tribe with two of the people that you, I guess, not directly <laughs> betrayed. Because, yeah, you, bl- you blindsided them, but I mean, still, they were coming for you. So it's kind of harsh to say that you blindsided them, I guess. But, you know, it was, you were unlucky to sort of land on that tribe with Paul and Chappies at the same time. Was there anything that you could have done differently prior to the swap after the the the, the vote? Did, did you try and go back and 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 explain why you did the vote the way you did to Chappies or Paul, or did you not put that work in with that relationship prior to the swap? What, what happens to it prior to the swap? Because we didn't see much prior to you guys going to the new tribe. You know, it was it was such a tiny window. You know, we we voted on mm-hmm. Pinty. We're all exhausted, went went to bed. You know, there's that kind of moment with Paul asking me in, in, in the tent and, and, you know, it awkwardly being diffused and stuff. We wake up, we're just kind of all marinating in the, our first tribal council. And then it's like, okay, off to the challenge we go and, and the tribe start happens. And I, I remember that that morning there were already a couple of people who had kind of intuited that a tribe swap was imminent. Kieran had said it. I think Paul had said it. There were a couple of people who were like, I don't know why, but I get a feeling that a tribe swaps on the cards. And I just remember thinking that morning, I was like, I really hope not because I still want to, I still want to pay, I still want to lighten things up with Chuppies. Even though I I was gunning for Chuppies, I, I really wanted to get rid of him next if I had the political capital to. Mm. I, I still wanted to keep the possibility of working with him open. I mean, I guess that goes to my duplicity, but like, you know, especially because for me, nothing's personal. You know, it's all business in a way. It's all transactions. Like, um, I wanted to see if I could soften that whatever bitterness or, or upset or distrust that brewed on the night before. And the honest truth is, is that, like, I mean, I lied bone-faced to Chappies literally that night before, you know, and Paul. I'd lied to both of them in a way that in retrospect now, it wasn't, um, it wasn't um, indulgent. Uh, I was doing it from like a, a belts and braces approach. It's a super lawyer thing to say. I was doing it to be double sure that they wouldn't play an idol and all these anxieties. But in retrospect, it was totally unnecessary for me to lie to them. And I guess that kind of had made it feel a little more vindictive than what it was. And so I had hoped to have had time to kind of lighten the mood and 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 patch that up. But next thing you know, tribes are swapped. And I just remember... Um, you know, the minute that tribe swap happened, like looking around and being like, "Uh oh, these numbers are bad. These numbers are super bad for me." <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, early early stages here, you, we see that that Carla is working really hard in getting the 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 old Zumba members sort of on board to vote with you guys and sort of to bring them in. Was Carla pretty adamant from the start that there was just no way? Like, I mean, it came across as her, like you said, she was quite emotional about the decision, which made her think irrational in certain cases about working with Paul and Chappies. Um, And you were in that awkward position, which I, you know, I was thinking to myself when I was watching it, I can kind of relate, like, how would I feel if I was in that position? I've got a very close ally here that I'm trying not to alienate, want to work with them, but you can just see her burning down the house in that scenario. I guess, you know, what was it like being on the island, seeing this happen in front of your eyes? Did you have an opportunity to talk to Carla prior to her making this move or did she just take the executive decision to immediately engage with that conversation before you guys even had a conversation, sort of engaging the conversation with the old Zumba members in that case? You know, I, you know, you know what's so interesting about that third episode is like, 
the, the conversation that you see us having where I'm, where we, we're like caught in a very serious conversation and, and you know, that, that first bit where I'm like, girl, they're playing us like, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. You know, you know, what's so interesting was like, that was strategically how we'd been engaging with each other. You know, all the shots of us in the edit are, are we lovey-dovey and being super kind of care bears with each other. But we also had this really rigorous, robust strategic discussion with each other throughout the game. And that's why our, I enjoyed our partnership so much is that it, it wasn't just a partnership of love. It was a partnership of war. And we respected each other enough as equals just to be super frank with each other, to be like, what about this? What about that? That's a shitty idea. That's a great idea. Let's do this. Fuck that. Let's do this, you know? Um, and, and I think those are the best type of working relationships, both in life and in the game, right? Like where you respect each other enough just to say it straight. Yes, this works. This doesn't. Um, and and also, I mean, again, and it's so funny because what? We're like seven days in. We barely know each other in real life. And yet we've logged so many hours with each other. We're in the pouring dark rain together. We've all of a sudden found ourselves to be really close with each other. And so at that stage, I, I think we'd also at this point have kind of trusted each other enough that we were in this dance, you know, we'd have a, we'd kind of cook up what the general game plan was. And then we'd go off and hustle and do our thing. And I'd be hustling people and she'd be hustling people. And we'd be kind of unsaid what we needed to do. And then we'd check back in and we'd done it, you know? So um, I think at that point, maybe there was a, mis there was a, uh, there was a difference in assessment of where the game was at. And, and, and in a, we probably hadn't had time yet to consolidate the assessment. And so we had begun to play before we'd had time to share our assessments. And so we were probably out of lock and step. You know, I think one of the, what I'm so interested by is the grand question for me is, you know, we're to what degree, sorry, I just want to phrase this, pro this, this properly. They're interesting questions, right? Were Chuppies and Paul so alienated by the previous night's blind side that they inevitably would have flipped regardless of what Carla had done. Is that a possibility? And and then the other thing is this, which is like, was it foolish of me to have thought that I could have, um, you know, rallied the troops with Carla and did a, uh, even if it was just appealing to head with, listen, guys, I know we don't trust each other, but just think about your best interests. You know, is it even possible to sell that as an argument? I mean, you know, when I was at the body corporate, and I was, I was making that lawyer's argument. I didn't even believe it when I was saying it. It was the most loyally thing I did while I was in the island. I didn't believe a word of, of what I was saying. Because I was like, oh, if I was Paul and uh, Chappies, fuck, I would jump. There's nothing you could do to stop me jumping to the other three. Um, and I was like, if I pull this off, um, I'm going to retire because I will not best myself in terms of loyally bullshit than this. Um, and, and if that's the case, then maybe I should have abandoned Vuna Strong and, and Carla was right and just really made a plea to Zumba. I, I still think my assessment was correct at this and that. The incentives were too strong. It, it made no sense for... By the way, the, the data point I was missing is that I thought Santi would, would have kept four strong with us, but obviously she, she had jump ship. Uh, but even more so, you know, it, made, it would make no sense for Zumba as three people to join the bottom of a seven-person alliance with four other people would get them nowhere when they could just absorb in two lost sheep and become five strong and be mm. the dominant faction. It made no sense for Zumba to join us, one. And um, and I thought that that was, that was the strongest gravitational pull in the entire game. Like, no matter what else was going on, that alone was an un unbeatable 
setting that one, you know, so I, I thought that was so difficult a thing to beat that there's no point in, in drilling into Zumba to, to bring them on side. Maybe I was wrong. And obviously Carla thought it was possible and maybe she was right. You know, well, parallel universe survivor audience, I guess, sees how that works out. But I, I think I was right, but I don't think Carla was as unreasonable as I felt at the time. I can now see, you know, that we were kind of, we were cut, caught between a rock and a hard place, really. Yeah. And it, and it was interesting how um, I'm one of those people, I don't know if you've heard of um, Edgic editing and looking into how somebody's being edited so oh, you can try and predict dark, who wins the dark arts the dark the dark arts. Arts. so so I, I don't create the edgic edits myself it's way too much work but i love reading into them and sort of instinctively because i've watched so many seasons you can read into an edit to sort of eliminate certain people as contenders to win the game and others you would put quite high and um carla was my um player of the the week the week before she was in my opinion kind of according to the edit drove a lot of the strategy and made things happen to save you and again like i said according to the edit obviously on the island a lot of other things happened but um you know this episode the edit didn't really protect her in any way it actually made her look not the greatest in that episode but it's early in the season I'm, i know there's still time for her to yeah. redeem herself in other episodes but one of the things i think that you can be quite grateful for is that the edit showed you and obviously you did it but you know sometimes people go out without us seeing them fighting to try and stay in the game and you went out swinging until the end there you were seen to have a lot of correct reads according to the edit so it, it kind of you became a little bit of like in my mind I, I was saying on the recap it's like where's obviously you were there the whole time but according to the edit where's this mike been the whole time like i can see he's really hustling he's really working because i never really understood why you were so far down the totem pole within the original tribe and why so many people wanted to target you early on what yeah. do you think sort of made you a target in the early stages so i i i have i have a i have a, a, a more kind of traditional theory and then like a, a hot theory um the traditional theory is this is that i'm shit at threat perception management like um <laughs> i you know what funny enough even though I, I think i was quite liked on the tribe i think i think people didn't trust me and i think they didn't uh and they saw me as a strategic threat but i think people liked me and i, I think i just I just felt, okay, cool. If people like me, yes, they'll see me as a strategic threat and I'll be fine, you know, and that like, I, there was a bit of me that was self-aware enough and I was like, oh no, you know, people will see me as such a strategic threat. They'll be like, oh my God, this guy's ridiculous. He's being a complete campy villain. Well, he's an obvious boot. Let's get rid of him later when it's more tough. There's no, re there's no reason to get rid of him now. He's not um, such a dangerous threat. Um, but I think the other bit of me was this, I was probably being reckless. I wasn't being prudent enough in, in the way I was playing. And I kind of pinned that down to just having so much fun. You know, like I probably was being a little uh, reckless and having, um, fr you know, slightly more, I wasn't hiding my tracks, I think, as well as I should have. Um, is, is I think is probably, a, if I'm being the most critical, is, is probably what happened. And... Um, I, yeah, there's that. I have a secondary theory, but I, I've, I don't have enough data for it, and I and I haven't verified it. I could, I'll, I'll have to wait to the reunion, and and I want to ask her. But um, you know, if I look at what conversations I was having with what people when on the timeline, you know, obviously Chuppies and Kieran, I was having a lot of strategic talk with Santony as well. 
Not as much as Kieran and Carla, but a fair amount with her. And then I was also, because Inesu is like omnipresent, I was also had done a fair amount of strategic talk with Inesu. And my I had, by the way, no information, neither on the edit all in real, you know, in on the island that I observed this, but my I call it the Inesu leak theory, which is like I kind of get the sense that Inesu, from my kind of unpacking where the game was at strategically, um was probably like, guys, look, Mike is like a bit of a bit of a threat. Like he's a bit of a strategic mm. threat. I mean, I'd certainly, if again, memory says me correct, I believe I definitely shared with the Nessu as well as Carl and Kieran, guys, Chuppies has an advantage. He definitely came back from that thing with an advantage. There's no way some shenanigan didn't go down. I mean, like, give me a break. Um, as well as a whole bunch of other things. So I have the Inesu leak theory that Inesu was like, oh, oh Mike's a tricky bastard. And like it, <laughs> and it kind of brought everyone's attention to that. Um, by the way, which I don't blame her because that's the prudent but reasonable thing for her to have done. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are my two theories for how I'd let my brand get so hot so quick. Um, but interestingly, I had worked that out I think on day three or four, I woke up and I was just like, oh, I can, the mood, I'm, I've moved on to the chopping block. Like, I can feel this. Like, they're like, my name is the name that's getting thrown around right now. And I was like, oh, this is not a great vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming it's a, it's a case of people just not approaching you as much, not trying to avoid conversation with you or things like that. Or how, how did you pick up that vibe? Or what does it sort of feel like to give people who are going to play Survivor in the future a little bit of a hint as to what to look out yeah. for? It's it, it's definitely that it's like the information that's flowing to you starts to dry up a little bit. The 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 names being discussed starts to dry up around a little bit. Um, and people telling you, Carla being like, "Oh, I had a conversation with X, and they said they want you gone." And uh, or someone's like, "Hey, I had a conversation with Y, and and uh, they threw your name up." Like, um, it's both explicit and and implicit. Okay. Um, last question. So I'll ask all the uh, exit interview castaways this. Uh, what was your favorite moment or your proudest moment out there on the island? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's it's just going to sound funny, but like um, there was this, that the night of that rainstorm, I mean, the nights of those rainstorms, but it was the night that we kind of packed up shop and we, and we like went to the cave and um, I mean, that whole night was already just kind of hilarious on so many different levels. Um, but like, you know, there we were, full grown ass tax paying adults, you know, like <laughs> huddling in a cave, um, freezing, soaked to the bone. Our fire had gone out. You know, I think I'm cuddling Carla on the one side, Paul's next to me. You know, it's like, it, it's so intimate and 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 a sense of camaraderie and and um, you know uh, people use the term like trauma bonding or something like that but you know it was this incredibly miserable moment and then like the sun started to break and the sun started coming up and there was a genuine feeling of like wow like I just survived something like like this is not something that I would normally experience in my day to day life it's something that most people wouldn't experience in this modern you know, civilization that we live in is, is that kind of experience. And um, and then that plus the, okay, now I get to go and, and set up a blind side. That 
that feeling was just this moment of like real deep excitement, pride and gratitude. You know, like I got experienced something that was hyper real, something that was tough, but survived it. Now I get to go and play this amazing game and I'm so lucky to do so. And the sun is shining on the wild coast. It was so cold and now I'm warming up and the air is clean and, and the birds are a tweeting and the sea is a crashing. And it was such a beautiful morning. And like, um, it, it was, it was, it was beautiful. It was like both a moment of just aesthetic beauty and um, gratitude. And I just, it was perfect. Mike, it's been great Mike, talking been to great you. Talking. Is there anything that you would like to plug or put out there for people to follow? I know you said you're not that active on social media, <laughs> but do you want me to put like links to your Instagram or something in the description? Um, you know, are you going to keep keep updating it and doing things on there? I guess Munich's a beautiful yeah, city. If, you can go take some nice photos over there. If you're into like um, a strange mix of like um, gay memes, Mike Law's thirst trap photos fashion and political commentary then follow my instagram account if you are super into the commentary of south african law follow my twitter account good luck man. um and um yeah i look look um, this is corny as hell um but if i'm i have to give a shout out to um the production um i think you know part of the part of the of my appreciation survivor comes from seeing what goes into making it like as a as an exercise in logistics, as an exercise in creative vision meets project management, you cannot really appreciate what goes into making an episode of Survivor. It's it's incredible, and like I think from the lowliest runner through to you know the exec producers, you know um, LB and and Handri, they are they're all super fans. They all they all love the show, and I think it I think it it, it reflects in the edits. And I'm just super grateful for them as humans. Like, I, I think that they do the Lord's work and I'm just very grateful for having had the chance to play the game and just want to thank them. Yeah, no, they're, they're great guys. I mean, I personally have spoken to Lurubuta a few times, one of the nicest people out there. You'd think, you know, high up producer, you know, yeah, wouldn't want yeah. to talk to a, a small podcaster like myself, but no, he's been very kind. I mean, obviously the exit interviews is one of the things that he helped me set up. So, you know, oh, very good. grateful for that. And, and also looking at the, um, you know, the show, this season has been absolutely phenomenal. And, and just, even, I know you can't talk to that too much yourself, but the cast itself, like I haven't had one of these exit interviews up until this point, the first three people I've been talking to every time I feel like, Oh, damn, we don't see them on the, on the screen any longer. And that shows how good the casting has been this season, that it doesn't matter who at the end gets to the end. It would have been a great season regardless because there's no really, there's no big duds for me at this season. And that's that's something to be proud of as well because most Survivor seasons have got a few duds. It's just the way it sort of plays out. But I feel like this has been a pretty strong cast. It's been difficult with the pandemic to be able to do what they've done. I think that's a whole different thing. They shot it in 2020. The year of the plague, they were able to bring together the yeah. health management logistics to pull off a healthy, clean, unplague affected shoot of Survivor. That's bonkers, you know. Yeah, it's um, phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. So huge, just huge respect, huge love and respect for those dudes. Yeah. And dude, well, Mike, I, I definitely um, I would be interested in reaching out to you in the future if you're happy to jump on and come on for a for a oh, recap good. episode for Australian Survivors it, around the corner. Do you watch Australian Survivor? Give me the links. Um and, <laughs> and I will watch uh Aussie Survivor. Um 
I, look, I love talking strategy. I, I love all the kind of back-end strategic talk. So you got my number. Hala. 100%. Well, it's been great meeting you. It's been great talking to you. Have a good uh, evening over there in Munich. My day is starting on this side, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. Keep well, man. See ya. Thanks. Bye. Ciao.